I, I think there is something that I find a bit confusing about people in the 21st century um, saying, this is how daring I am, I'm going to come out as an atheist. <laughs> you think, really? Atheism given over as if it's a brave stance. I'll show them a brave stance. <laughs> and that's not atheism. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I don't get that at all. I've had this conversation with David Baddiel. I've refused to read his book about oh, really? atheism. Oh. You know what? If I want to read at the views of an atheist, I can basically go into a newsagent and <laughs> gather up virtually every <laughs> newspaper and magazine. Welcome to the Reenchanting Podcast. I am Belle Tindall. And I am Justin Briley. We are the podcast from Seen and Unseen, where we talk to interesting people, both with and without faith, about the way in which the Christian story has shaped our world and whether a secular post-Christian culture can be re-enchanted with the wonder and the mystery of that story once more. Please like, share, subscribe, comment, do all of the things, and that helps us get re-enchanting far. And wide. Certainly does. Um, we're really pleased today to be joined by Frank Skinner. He's, of course, a comedian, a broadcaster, an author who has entertained millions through TV shows such as Fantasy Football League, The Frank Skinner Show, Badil and Skinner Unplanned, Room 101, as well as many sellout stand up comedy tours as well. Um, uh, Frank's love of comedy is perhaps only surpassed by his love of football, and he is, of course, a lifelong supporter of West Bromwich Albion. And with David Badil and the Lightning Seeds, of course, penned. Three Lions, the best-known football anthem of modern times. Mm. And Frank's other great love is his Catholic faith, um, something which he connected with after initially trying to walk away from it in his 20s. And in 2021, he wrote a comedian's prayer book, which featured his thoughts on hell, judgment, atheism, money, faith, and the X-Men, among many other things. But how does a comedian square edgy routines with church-going and confession and isn't faith just very unfashionable on the comedy circuit or are comedians trying to fill a God-shaped hole, arguably just like the rest of us? Welcome along to the show, Frank. Thanks. Is there any left? <laughs> <laughs> We've done most of the talking already. I thought we, I'd we, just come to what? Yeah. <laughs> Sit back and relax. No. That wasn't a very lengthy introduction No, to I'm really, I'm not criticising. There, there's, there's so much to say, though, because you have had a really interesting... Well, career. I'm old, and so I've done a lot. <laughs> Before we get into what you've done, um, we're, we're sitting on the top of Lambeth Palace Library. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful view behind us across the London skyline. But we're sitting on top of a, a whole archive of books. Um, I don't know if you enjoy ecclesiological literature, but what's on your book stand at the moment? Well, I just completed um, The Blazing World, mm. which um, you're going to ask me who wrote that, and I can't remember, <laughs> Professor somebody. But he... Um, it's brilliant, and it's about 17th century England, so mm. it has quite a lot of religion okay. in it. It has that whole, you know, it's got the Popish plot, and um, it's got the Civil War, and, and Puritans, and all that. All, uh, it's all, all it's really yeah. brilliant, Great. detailed, and um, it gives you an idea of how religion and politics used to be very tightly mm, mm. tied together. People would meet in fields under a um, under an oak tree, and then they would uh, it would be a religious meeting, and then would develop into 
are we going to allow for our land to be taken right. from us, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So, so start with God, end up with property law. Kind yeah. Of. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, sounds like an interesting book. One for mm. the... I'd recommend it. And also, there's a, um, I'm also reading um, The Wasteland Biography of a Poem. Okay. By Matthew Hollis, which is mm. about the whole development of the wasteland and how oh, it very was good. the T.S. The, the Eliot poem, yes, obviously. Yes. And how it was created and its response and all that. Oh. We'll talk about your love of poetry a bit later on, but do, do you just read books of poetry as well from... I constantly read books yeah. of poetry. Yeah. I mean, I I always have a book of poetry in my yeah. pocket. So if you'd been late today, <laughs> you'd be just I would have taken out up on some poetry. Oh I would wow, have taken that wasn't hyperbole. Penguin, is... modern poets, George Barker, Martin Bell, Charles Causley. So I'm, I'm always ready yeah, with That's that. Great. But no, I read poetry every day, basically. But I'm, I'm but those these books. Prose is a, is something I read yeah. um, less so, but if a thing like Blazing World is a, a bit of a life mm. changer, you know. Wow. Mm. When it comes to poetry, have you got favourites? Either poems, poets. Times. Well, I've got favourites, but I've got favourites like, what's your favourite Elvis Presley period, and who's your favourite Doctor Who? They change every day. One day you want some white jumpsuit. <laughs> the next day you want uh, Sun Recording Studios and lots of Brill Cream. <laughs> One day you want John Pertwee. The next day you want Matt Smith. So um, I'm reading a poet called Gene Sprackland at the moment, who's a contemporary poem, mm. and um, I'm absolutely loving her. But I was reading Percy Bysshe Shelley last week. It was a bit more of a uh, ledge. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yeah. Yeah, it changes. It changes. Yeah. I'd be worried about someone who had a set favourite anything. It seems like a sort oh, of really? um sort of fundamentalism of pleasure. Well now I'm starting to question myself because when it comes to Doctor Who I'll never not want David Tennant. Okay. Well that's a that's a popular modern view. <laughs> <laughs> You're one of the modernists when it comes to yeah. Maybe no, I am, he's, yeah. he's he's fabulous, but I love them all. Only mm. last night I lay in bed and watched two episodes of The Gone Fighters, which was a William Hartnell wow. oh, okay. story. The original yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. So yeah. I think it was from sixty mm. six that very mm. good. That's wow. my life. Wow. Yeah. I, I remember reading um an autobiography you wrote some time ago and there was one anecdote that really struck me where you were on some kind of international flight with Eddie Izzard oh yes and talking about the fact that he obviously was pushing boundaries with his cross-dressing and his his routine and everything but you got onto the subject of religion and and you basically both agreed that actually it's far more edgy in a way to be to be a, a believer because well, that's was, so countercultural. he was he he was still a a, a private um uh, at that, I mean, it was. I, I don't know if what the terminology was of the time, but he used to wear women's clothes, yeah. and I, I don't know what the label would would have been on that. But he didn't talk about that on stage at the time, mm. Eddie. But he he just started. He'd done a joke about mm. wearing a bra with tennis balls, mm. in, and he saw that as the beginning. Right. And he said to me, "You know, you should talk. You should talk about your religion." And I, yeah, I said I thought a modern comedy club audience would be much accepting, much more accepting of um, 
whatever it was called then cross-dressing than yeah. they would have religion and even now i you know i mention religion on stage now mm. and there's always a sense of i need to get to the punchline fast <laughs> because people are why we weren't have, expecting why, this why have you yeah um, why have you yeah done that um i mean is it just really weird to be a person of faith in that sense in comedy well it is uh yes but i don't get hostility i get curiosity mm. so i think mm. people especially as a catholic i think um if you're an anglican you're um you're only in most people's eyes one step away from being an atheist <laughs> Whereas the Catholic Church has really bought into the theatrical right. uh, mm, elements of it. Okay. So people ask me about things like what's it like in a confession box? Okay. Mm. And um, does wine taste different if it's been turned into blood? <laughs> you know what I mean? They're more, they're more the sort of questions they might ask David Copperfield. Right. Mm. Yes. I think... I don't know if you've seen Fleabag, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's. Of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think she really tapped into that. In fact, I'd be absolutely uh, over the moon to chat to her about who was her inspiration for The Hot Priest. And But I think she really, that's not my title. I'm not giving that to him. He has that title. Um, but I think she really tapped into that, that curiosity of the dramatics with that. There used to be a hot priest, I remember a Spanish guy, and I won't name the church lest he be identified, but there <laughs> used to be a lot of, I say a lot, there was probably five teenage girls with a little bit too much makeup on who used to sit in the front pews for him. But I have to say, if I were to write a list of hot priests yeah. I've met, it wouldn't take very long. No. Well, he must be your inspiration then. Um. I, yeah, I, I, she may have met him. I remember he um, said we do a prayer meeting. On I went to a here is um, I went to mass that he was giving this the hot the hot priest that I knew the real hot priest, and he um, said we have a prayer meeting on Wednesdays. Mm. If anyone would like to come, it's very mm. very emotional, very passionate. Last week he said a man in prayer <laughs> levitated. Whoa. two feet into the air during prayer and everyone went and he went not really <laughs> <laughs> which is a very hot priest slightly overconfident swaggering yeah you're right approach. you're right oh gosh i thought we were going in a very different direction just then no, no. This interview. um i've been just sticking with priests and comedy do you do you enjoy comedy about religious people? You know, Vicar of Dibley, Rev with Tom Hollander, you know, a few years ago was quite popular. Um, I um, I don't really differentiate like that. I, I loved Life of Brian, which yeah. was a, a film that offended a lot of um, religious people at the time. I like The Little World of Don Camillo. I don't know if you're familiar with those stories. And yeah. it's about a Catholic priest and a communist Italian mayor sort of post-war and they're yeah. feuding and also their sort of respect for each other. Yeah. I think that um, I've never bought into this idea that if you read the Bible in a certain way, there's loads of jokes in it and mm. Jesus is always mm. dropping like <laughs> nuanced, topical uh, comedy. I don't. I think somebody probably went through and cut the gags out. Mm. <laughs> Do you reckon? Yeah, I yeah. think um, 
Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine a bunch of 13 men hanging around and they're not being some regular band. I, I mean, we've got a Bible scholar here with Belle. Oh, my gosh. What, do you think there's comedy in the New Testament, Belle? What a question. I've never thought about that before. I, I, um, I just wonder whether, for instance, some of the stories Jesus tells were meant to be understood as quite humorous. Do you think they're like, sort of satire almost? Well, well, like the whole thing of, um, you know, the or, or at least slightly ridiculous, you know, saying before you take the speck out of your own eye, uh, or out of your neighbor's eye, take the plank out of your, your mm. own. It's kind of like it's... It's meant to be understood, I assume, mm. as kind of ridiculously over the top and could have yeah. made the audience laugh. It's, it's. Yeah, I think there's definitely shock factor. He was saying ridiculous things laugh, to though? shock. Is there a laugh in the New well, Testament? A the, documented, a documented laugh. No, the only laugh I can think of, I'm sure there must be others, but is it Isaac's wife who laughs? Well, Abraham's, Abraham's wife. wife. Abraham's um, wife, yeah. yeah. She laughs, yeah. So you're going to get pregnant, she laughs, and yeah. she's sort of punished <laughs> for laughing. <laughs> I... I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there must be other laughs somewhere. One in the laugh Testament. and they get into trouble yeah. for it. Yeah. Well, this will be, I've just finished the doctorate, but I'm I'm going to start a new one on this. Are there any right. laughs in the New this Testament? And I'll new... get back to you in about three to four well, years. Someone, there has crack. been a book about it. Someone sent me a book about oh, it. Oh, yeah. And um, I remain unconvinced. Yeah, I think I my disposition would be unconvinced as well. Well, I, I, I'm going to just pitch my yeah, tent saying do. I do think in the Jewish context, that some of those four stories were probably seen as quite humorous. Okay. And quite, quite See, funny. that is another thing. I would say a central piece of Jewish culture is comedy. Yeah. And it's just a shame it's not. I mean, you, you spent many, much of your career working alongside a secular Jewish comedian, mm -hmm. David Baddiel. Um, if you can be a secular well, Jewish. Well, it's a good Ooh. question. But, <laughs> I mean, just sticking with the atheists in comedy thing, so you've got, obviously, David Baddiel, though... I think he he wears his atheism a little more lightly than some atheists like Ricky Gervais, and mm. Bill Maher, and um, even Eddie Izzard to some extent. But what do you think? I mean, how do you feel about when they do routines that kind of send up religion, that kind of make poke fun at Christianity? Well, I think, I don't know. Um, I don't know why they bother. <laughs> I, I think there is something that I find... a bit confusing about people in the 21st century um, saying, this is how daring I am. I'm going to come out as an atheist. <laughs> you know, if it's Voltaire, he's <laughs> taking a risk. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Shelley, who I mentioned earlier, he, um, he wrote a pamphlet when he was um, at university um, about atheism and was expelled right. for it. Uh, that's sort of what early 19th century. So um, then you're taking a risk. But yeah. now it's like me saying, you know what? I think the world, I think it's round the world. <laughs> All right. I know what you're saying, but I actually am going to stick my neck out. You think, really? Atheism given over as if it's a brave stance. I'll show them a brave stance. <laughs> and that's not atheism. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I don't get that at all. I've had this conversation with David Baddiel. I've refused to read his book about oh, really? atheism. Oh. You know what? If I want to read at the views of an atheist, I can basically go into a news agent and <laughs> gather up virtually every <laughs> newspaper mm. and magazine. Do you know that you're in it then? 
I know I'm in it, yeah. yeah. But I don't think he's got much um, Christian material to work with. He doesn't <laughs> know any of us, I don't yeah. think. It's a really... Oh, do you want... I cannot talk about the book, actually, if you don't want to talk about it. But it's a good section, your section. No, no, I'm, I, don't get me wrong. I think he's a brilliant writer and yeah. the book's doing well. Annoyingly well. But, no, you know, I'm joking. If I wrote a book celebrating anti-Semitism, I don't think he'd have been that glad about it. <laughs> Not sure yeah. it's quite the same thing. I don't know. But oh well, no, because you're not. Because you're a nice, mild-mannered Christian. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. So your section is called "In a Car with Frank Skinner and His Sins." Yes. And did you know that he compares your prayer book to Augustine's Confessions? Yes. He wow. um he told me that. I think if someone did that to me, I'd just retire, call it a job well done. Yeah. And farm. Yeah. Although it's. I like to think it zings along a bit more than Augustine's. <laughs> I know people Definitely. talk about Augustine's confessions as if it's all about, you know, sort of the sort of racy side of life and it's very human <laughs> and it's the first proper autobiography. There's quite a lot of um, long-winded theology. Stuff to get through. Yeah. yeah. You're much funnier. Yeah. Well, I just don't think you could get... I don't know how that would sell now if you'd brought out a, a St. Augustine. Mm. But I know what he means is that yeah. St. Augustine... He's constantly picking at his belief. Mm. And I do that as well. And he's heard me do that. And I do it a lot in the mm. book. I'm a very, um, I think doubt is a very underrated um, religious tool. Mm. And people who say, I absolutely believe this and will always believe it forever. I think you might as well wrap up. Mm. I think one of the things you have to be careful when you get a bit older I'm 66 now, is don't put your opinions in a box and nail the lid on them. Keep mm-hmm. keep them all open. They, they mm. might change and well, maybe they I should. I guess that's just called intellectual humility and, and I guess that's needed on both sides, right? Well, I heard a Radio 4 show in which uh, a guy who studied sea anemones was mm. interviewed and uh, they asked the question, I suppose, how do you know when they've died? <laughs> Which is a reasonable yeah. question. And he said, growth. Mm. If you can't detect growth, then we officially define that as death. Yeah. Mm. And I would think that's true of human beings yeah. as well. Do you ever debate with David Baddiel on the issue of God? Yeah, we have, yeah, we have debated yeah. on it. And it's, um, it's a very difficult thing to debate. I don't... Um, you see, I don't really, if, if you have a debate, you really need to meet in the middle. Mm. And um, I don't like the middle. <laughs> I think the middle, I think that slight area of compromise is one of the things that has led to um, atheism being the cool thing and Christianity being the the sort of boring, right. bad skin and um, synthetic... <laughs> Um, material clothes. So, w- what what would your kind of debate approach be? Just like go for full blooded. Well, here's my debate. My yeah. debate is this: if you believe in God, right? I'm guessing you two believe in God, mm-hmm. and I hear people who believe in God say, "I believe in God," but you know, I'm not sure about the Virgin Birth. That could have been an angels. You know, I think that mm. could be a. And you think, mate. <laughs> You believe in God. It's not like these things are more far-fetched. They're just less mm. vague. Mm. And you think, yeah, God, because there's like a spiritual thing. And we all have a bit of that done with in the wellness industry. And you go and buy a Buddha in um, 
in um, TK Maxx or whatever. But I, I actually believe that there are angels. I, there's a moment in the Catholic Mass where the priest stands up at the front and he holds up the host, the wafer, the communion wafer. And usually in the Catholic Church nowadays, he used to hold up a complete one, but now he's broken up a big one. So he's holding up a piece of raggedy old wafer that looks like he's found it down the back of the sofa. <laughs> and he says, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. It's the most outrageous <laughs> in the 21st century. The idea that there is a Lamb of God, that there's a God, mm. that he's got a Lamb, a, a representative <laughs> who came to earth, that he takes away the sins is ludicrous. But here he is <laughs> in this raggedy bit of wafer. And I kind of love that. Mm. And, we all t and we all sit there. And I don't know how often we actually literally question it like that. But yes, mm. yes, in a world all around us, Ricky Gervais literally lives in the same road as my church. Mm. Um, but, you know, he's, he's, he's back at home um, writing atheist across his chest in lipstick. And I'm listening to a man saying this bit of... Um, this bit of carbohydrate is the saviour of the world. I think I don't like the idea that you have to compromise, that you, we have to go to them. Mm. And also I think what that's done is it's made it a dull halfway house. Yeah. You know, why do you think people love Harry Potter? Because it embraces this idea that there's something not graspable. Mm. It re-enchants is what yeah. it does. We spoke on season one. We spoke to Tom Holland, the historian. Oh, yeah. And right at the end, we oh, were like... Oh, I'd rather it had been Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. There was... Sorry, no, sorry, Tom Holland. I don't know if I'm sp I should admit this no, publicly. But I love the historian, but he's not Spider-Man. <laughs> He's not. There was about He's three on. minutes where I thought I was interviewing Spider-Man. Yeah, okay. Mm. But uh, it was fine. The yeah. Tom Holland conversation was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. But when I first heard the name, I thought, anyway, he said, right at the end, we kind of asked him like, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, great. He gave a really good historical roundup. And then at the end, we said, what do you think about Christianity? And he said, when, when it's bled of enchantment, I hate it. I can't stand it. It's a really pallid and anemic thing, I think were his words. And, I, and it made me think, oh, like that was so challenging because whenever I speak to people who aren't Christians, any of my friends like that, I do exactly that. I try and make mm. like, rationalize I try and rationalize it. Yeah. it. Yeah. I try and kind of rub away the bits that I think are the most, um, the easiest targets. And yeah, I think that's the opposite of what I should have been doing the whole time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a sort of no man's land, the Christian, and no, and it's boring. no, no angels land. <laughs> that, yeah. um, that people go into to think, Oh, I'll convince them more if I, also, what do you think? You're going to get them interested in Christianity and then further down the line they'll hear about angels and they'll think, they never, <laughs> they never told me the about it. Print. It's oh, like right. discovering something about you, the person you yeah. married. Further, You never told me you'd been married before. <laughs> but in a way, all of this circles around the fact that a lot of people do seem to walk away from faith at some point because they've mm. been talked out of it by the secular world. Um, why did you stick with your catholic faith when obviously so many people well i didn't Catholics. i did walk away okay well tell us about that first when i was um 17 i um i was still going to church every week and i was um religious and i read about religion and i 
couldn't get my head around the fact um, that this idea of Catholic tradition was one of the first things that started. I don't know, I'm sure you are aware of it, but in case anyone's listening who isn't, the Catholic Church thinks, yes, there's the Bible and that's the word of God, but the church itself as a sort of a constantly evolving, I don't know if it would have used the word evolving in the old days, but uh, a constantly evolving <laughs> grace yeah. that gives it um, the, the strength and the insight to find new interpretations and new beliefs. So you can, you can grow through study and through absorbing that gift of grace to the Mm. church you Mm. can grow a wisdom for example about the virgin mary not dying and about Mm. her being assumed into heaven Mm. you can find that even though that's not in the bible and that really worried me the idea you could Mm. add stuff to the bible papal infallibility also worried me so I didn't turn my back on belief, but I thought the Catholic Church had got it wrong. Mm. Leaving the Catholic Church was an enorm in our family was um if I'd come back and said I'd killed three people in a pub, it probably wouldn't have been a bigger deal. Wow. So that was um very, very difficult. Mm. Uh and then I stayed away from the church and I tried other churches. I became a faith tourist. I went to Anglican Church. I tried the Christadelphians. Mm-hmm. Um I was drawn in by the idea of the not being a devil or hell, which right. is a Christadelphian belief. So you went a little bit down the road of maybe take out some of those more eccentric well, no, I don't know if yes. it was that. I mean, my problem with that is I had a lot of uh, heavy metal T-shirts which sort of relied on the being a devil for their design. <laughs> no, I couldn't buy that. I okay. couldn't buy... This is another thing that's been very much uh, polished up is the idea of, you know, eternal damnation. Anyway, I tried all these things. I read every anti-Catholic thing I could get my hands on because I needed to be convinced that I'd done the right Mm. thing. Mm. And I couldn't, after about five or six years of this, I started to get this real urge to go back. And I thought, oh, no, I can't. If I go back, I'm going to have to say to my family, you know, all that torment and stuff, that was wrong. (laughs) And uh, so I kept, then I started going to church and just sitting at the back and not doing anything. Just, And in the end, I went and saw a priest and... uh, I told him this whole story in more detail. And uh, it's an old priest in Birmingham called Father Stibbles. And uh, I, I mean, I've, I've told this story before because it sticks in my mind very much. And maybe it's just as well you are filming mm. this. But he just went and he did this gesture of just calling me mm-hmm. towards him. He didn't say anything. And I said, what? He said, come, come on. I said, what? He said, come back. You want to come back? Just come back. What's the problem? So I went back. (laughs) So it wasn't almost all those intellectual questions getting answered, that it was someone just inviting you. The truth is, um, I think it's very, very important to keep reading around it and keep Mm. asking the questions. Mm. I think there are, I don't know about... um, or the churches, but in the Catholic Church, there are adults 
who I would say had what I would call a, a gentle Jesus theology, which is still based on the stuff they did leading up to their first communion. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's good enough. I, mm. I am with St. Paul that when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, you have to, you have to not see through a glass mm. darkly. Mm. You have to see as clear as you can, but mm. you also have to accept that if I'm going to get down to the ground from this upper floor that we're on, eventually I can take all the, um, I can buy all the harnesses and do all the research. Eventually I'm going to have to jump mm. or after yeah. that moment when I'm going to have to jump. And that's what I think about faith. It doesn't, intellectualizing about religion doesn't take us yeah. all the way. And if it did, you'd be removing a lot of people. You know, this, uh, when Jesus celebrates the fact that God has given this wisdom to these little ones, mm. to, you know, to people who aren't educated, and sometimes I see debates on the tea. You used to get like Christopher Hitchens, who was an intellectual, but who really deserved a slapping. <laughs> and he would be shooting people down because they couldn't intellectualize their faith the way he could intellectualize his atheism. Mm. But that's not what it's about. It's right. about everybody. It has to be available to everybody. So if mm. you can't get to it through a sort of a visceral gut feeling mm -hmm. you know i went to guadalupe to the, the the to the shrine in in mexico and there was old ladies crawl it's on top of a hill crawling on their stomach up the hill wow um and at first i was shocked by mm. it but i thought this is just another way of doing it. Saying, yeah. like, she's not going to maybe read the books and have all the big thoughts. She's just going to say, I really believe in this and this is how I'm showing. I'm going to get mm. down in the mm. dirt and crawl mm. up this hill wow. to this thing. And you have to have those different levels or mm. you're shutting some people out. Yeah. Mm. And that's why I guess that's one of the reasons you don't like debates. And it, because Christians come at it you know if you're talking about faith they use doubt like you've said as a yeah. tool which refines their faith and yet when that's met with someone a bit like Christopher Hitchens um doubt isn't in their repertoire so you're, you're sort of you're on two different pages almost speaking two different languages trying to en engage them and yeah, make one exactly. win out over the other and also books like Hitchens and Dawkins um they're a bit like the kids at school who uh are, are they aren't the hard kids at school <laughs> But they go to the Christian disco, and there they are. They, there they can bully people. But when they go to the normal disco, they're frightened and wimpish in the corner. So I met Dawkins, you know. He's, first thing he said to me, I asked him a question. He said, I can't, I can't understand your accent. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh. I said, I think you need to get out and meet more working class people. Mm. And the producer said, I think we need to start this again. <laughs> but I wish they'd left that in. But anyway, you know, well, I mean, well. I read his book and I, again, you've got to keep the lid off your opinions. I mm. held up that book and thought, when I've finished this, I might not believe in God anymore. You have to mm. have that yeah. in your game. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but it didn't, didn't finish off your faith. No, because it, it was the method of the book. And I understand how you do a polemic is that if I wanted to write a book that was anti-youth, young people 
I'm not going to interview bright, intelligent, <laughs> young people who are doing great work in the society. I want, you know, the junkies and the knife crime. I want those guys. Yeah. And it only, you know, so he took um, people who blow people up and American Christian fundamentalists. Well, I can argue against Christianity yeah. with, if that's the material. Mm. Yeah. Just coming back to your own journey then as a Catholic, certainly for a good long time, your Catholic faith was married to a fairly hedonistic lifestyle and that came out in some of your comedy routines as mm. well. How, how did you kind of reconcile those two Well, worlds? I don't know if I did um, reconcile it as such. I think um, I was aware of my sin and what I tried to do, um, and I'm not suggesting this as a method, <laughs> I tried to sin in, in as kind and compassionate way as I possibly could. Responsible sinning <laughs> was my Sin approach. management. <laughs> yeah, and I think that is the bottom line. There are ways of sleeping with people in hotel rooms on one-off occasions that are cynical and exploitative and unkind. And there are ways there are it's just like a fun laugh, right. nice night out. But obviously the Pope's not gonna take this, but this was how I was handling it. I'm not suggesting for a second that that is a reasonable approach to Christianity. Um, but it sort of got me through it. It was a period when, um, you know, you never get rid of that curtain in the back of your brain where you put the stuff you don't want to look at. Mm. Um, otherwise, you know, I mean, that might be a joke in the Bible when he says, be perfect as my father is perfect, because then the audience are thinking, Damn. okay. <laughs> that <laughs> that really is so, yeah. that really, if you wanted to, I don't know about a joke, but as a sort of nuanced piece of irony, yeah. To be, all you need to do is be perfect, like my father in heaven is perfect. He's yeah. sort of saying, look, you're not going to be perfect. So accept that, but just aim for it. Let that be your best shot. I mean, was the rationalization to some extent that, well, whatever I do on a Saturday night, I've got confession on Sunday morning? No, I never. That would be a, a dark, cynical. When I say I rationalized it, I now I can look back and see that's what I was doing, but mm. it was it wasn't that conscious okay. mm. when I was doing it. I um I focused on all the um positive, you know, if you want to I mean, I'm not gonna get too graphic, but you know, responsible contraception mm. and all mm. stuff like that. Interesting. Mm. Is there a, thinking about your comedy and your faith? Is there a, a is there a relationship there in that? Does your faith feed into your comedy, but also vice versa? Are there ways in which your comedy and that process? I'm sort of, I'm a bit fascinated in the art of comedy. Um, has fed into your faith, your understanding, your thinking about Christianity. I think that um, I've never had a sort of po-faced attitude to. Um, I saw a review of the prayer book I wrote um, in something like the uh, Church Times or something that said it was an uncomfortable read. And I don't know if that's, is that a good review or a bad review in the Church Times? I think, I think faith should be a bit more 
uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one should do more of that as we that analysis of how did I handle that mm-hmm. period mm. of regular uh, venal sin? How mm. did I deal with it? Yeah. I think it's good. Um, I think it's good to get to get onto the your own magnifying glass and yeah. keep doing that. You know, we have a. Uh, I'm assuming you guys are Anglicans. I don't know. If well, um, funnily uh, enough, neither of us are Anglicans, even no. though we're sitting in the grounds of okay. Lambeth Palace. Okay, but, fair yeah. enough. But, but for but, the Catholics, I'm assuming you're not Catholics. No. As you're asking me about the Catholic Church, as one might ask David Attenborough about the duck bill platitudes. <laughs> um, <laughs> We have this examination of conscious thing that we do before confession. And the idea is you don't just walk into confession and blah, blah, blah. You really pull apart what, why and what's been going on. And I think that's a very, very healthy thing to do. And I don't know how many people are doing stuff like that outside of Mm. religion. Mm. It just, we don't get that opportunity to examine ourselves in the way that no, but how do you how do you improve if you yeah. don't do that? Yeah, mm. that's interesting. So, is comedy a way that you do that? Do you because that's brave to do that to write it out and then send that out, but also to do that in in front of people? Is that well? I think um, I think the important thing about my faith is that it is because I don't live under a bushel, as mm. it were. As, uh, you know, the idea that you don't light a lamp, put yeah. it under a bucket. Yeah, yeah. I, it's not that I need to get up and evangelize on stage, but on stage I casually mention the priest, something the priest said on Sunday mm, morning. Mm. I think normalization, you know what I said? I don't think we should go forward and say, oh, don't worry about the angels. Let's just, you know, it's all about spirituality because people love spirituality. It doesn't mean very much. It's vague enough not to be threatening. But it needs to be normal. When I talk about my life, I know today we're talking about religion specifically, but if I do an interview with a newspaper and ask me about my life, my religious views are shot through everything and Mm. they're no Mm. different from my views on the, you know, yeah. it's, it yeah. has to be integral. It can't be a box where you keep your do, religious Do you feel things. like you've been talking more openly, though, about that in more recent years? Has it kind of come more to I the fore? I think form? I've always talked openly yeah. about it. But in when I first started off and I was king of the lads, I would talk about it in interviews, and it never made the interview. Right. Because people are creating i'm going to bring up the theory of aristotle's (laughs) probable truth if you tell the truth of a battle and one army is all over the other but there's a couple of moments Mm. when these ones rally you don't include those moments Mm -hmm. the truth of it is that this army dominated the other and the truth of me that i was i was this loutish you know groupies in um hotel rooms foul mouth yob when I said I'd got a master's degree in English literature and that I believed in God, it's sort of, oh, that's interesting, but it doesn't really... <laughs> it doesn't fit the narrative. Doesn't fit yeah. The, yeah, so, yeah. so it wasn't that I started talking about it. It's they started printing it right. is what happened. That's but I, um, what always sticks in my mind is I was at, um, I was at, co- I just started um, college. I was doing my, I, I messed up. O levels at school so I went back and did it 
And one of the first days, the lecturer, whatever you call them in a college of further education, said, how many people here um, believe in God? And I thought, well, I don't know these people. They're going to put, they're going to think I'm a weirdo. So no one put their hands up. And on this thing of the examination of conscience, that really nagged at me right. for a long time. And I decided that never again would I not put my hand up. So I put my hand up. I've never really taken it down. Mm. It's very important to me that my hand is raised. And even if we don't discuss it, it's not a secret, you know, and if it comes mm. up, it, com it comes up. Mm. I still get, but on the comedy thing, I am rarely offended by religious, anti-religious yeah. comedy. Um, I do get, I am capable of being offended. You know, a lot of comedians, you get so tough. When I hear people, for example, in everyday conversation saying, like, Jesus Christ, yeah. and stuff, every time that happens, I just feel like there's a slight drawing pin being hammered into my <laughs> temple. <laughs> but um, I know it's very fashionable now to be uh, offended, but I don't feel... One place I don't put my hand up is I never pull anyone up. On that, I just hey. let it. I just yeah. take. I've got friends who say, "Oh, geez, oh, sorry," right? right. Because they know that I don't like it. But I, I, that's you know, if they want to be that yeah. person. Yeah, yeah. Um, just talk about prayer because that was obviously the subject of this twenty twenty one comedian's guide to prayer that you wrote. Um, what? When do you pray? Is it just something that happens all the time, or? I, I mean, I'm more or less an old-fashioned uh, morning and night prayer. Though I will, um, I think it's important that you don't need to kneel and make the sign of the cross. I can, I, you know, I've, I've prayed on the tube and and stuff like that. Yeah. Not for big, not like, please don't let this crash. Yeah. But just things. I think it's important that um, the idea that God's on the, on the other end of the phone, you don't have to make an appointment. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you think more people than perhaps willing to admit it also pray? Uh, mm, do I think that? Or do I think that a lot of people who do pray barely register what they're saying? Mm. I don't know. I think if everybody prayed mm. with any level, if they prayed with 25% intensity and focus i honestly think the world would very very quickly change wow. for the better what why is because that because i think it is partly an examination of conscience it's partly uh, this is who i was today this is who i am this is who i'm becoming do i want to be that can you help me and i believe that there is something coming back. I've never heard a voice mm. or anything like that. But if you wait, sometimes it's it, you just feel like a slight night's move in your head where it's a chess term. I don't play chess, <laughs> but I like it. Something just, I think a thought that you're having just changes a bit. And I think, is that me talking about it or is something from the other side just done that? I don't know. 
But I definitely think if everybody prayed, um, life would be sweeter. It's, I suppose, we're talking, we've spoken a little bit about the most ridiculous parts of Christianity. That surely is up there. But it's sort of hidden in plain sight, this idea, right? I that hope that ridiculous was in inverted commas. <laughs> it was. Yeah, that was definitely was. in there. It okay. was, absolutely. But it's up there in the, this idea, I think, that you can speak to not just a God, the God, at, at the top of the pyramid of the Christian faith, like the God, and that he would take the time to speak back to you or that things could change in response. That's... That you sort of think, well, why why do Christians ever stop praying if they really believe with, like you say, with everything that actually that yeah. does? I don't think, I, it's not like cosmic ordering. Mm. I mean, I heard Noel Edmonds' interviews and he said he wrote a list of the things that he wanted, like seven things, and then you just wait for them and they all come. I don't I mean, oh, okay. even a cardo. <laughs> <laughs> Can't oh, that do good that. At I don't yeah. believe, I mm. also think a lot of the time you don't know what you're praying for well, and if it's mm, good for you from what i remember noel Edmonds sort of had this idea of praying to the universe or something yes. and, and to be honest mm. that's what i more often hear in secular culture sort of i'm just sending out positive vibes to the universe kind yeah. of language but Does i that always count? think that is the whole spiritual spirituality industry for me is people who want a bit of insurance but don't want to get up on a sunday morning <laughs> i just don't think it's good enough it's like religion light mm. you know i think you've got to be um aware, whatever you are i mean one thing that i've upset christians with before i remember being i got an honorary degree from wolverhampton university and i sat with one of their senior guys and he was a uh, a christian person and i said i think we're all praying to the same god we've just put a different name on it mm. i said i think the muslim um, the Hindu, we're all, you know, we're all reaching out to that same God, and he really didn't like that at all. Mm. But I think the idea that Christians, um, that we've got the, the the phone line and no one else has got it, is a dangerous line of thinking. I guess. I guess my thought on that would be. I knew you. I knew. I, I'm going to yeah, stop sorry. you guys my, in your my, tracks. My, my, <laughs> I've got to just correct this heresy that's just been. Yeah, I know. know I understand. But fair enough. I'll, I'll give you some space <laughs> to do that. No, I'm not. I'm in a way. I'm. I can un fully understand that perspective because I think there is this common grace that everybody can speak to God, but that doesn't mean that all paths to God are the same necessarily. I, you know, as a Catholic, presumably you think there's something unique about the person of Jesus and the access that gives you to God in a way that is different from Islam or Hinduism? Well, it's different, but different is um, doesn't mean it's not as complete hmm. or as fulfilled. I think um, just the reaching for God, I always, I always think we are so demanding on this. The fact that Christian religions, you know, of all that we're not united it just seems ludicrous. Oh, what? There's hardly any of us. I know that, I mean, relatively, I know, you know, there's whatever, mil billions of Catholics. But it just seems in the UK, you think, God, shouldn't we, shouldn't mm. we have a... Join forces. Yeah. Yeah. 
a best of. I, it's it's not as bad as it used to be, I would argue. You know, when Catholics and Protestants were, were basically arch enemies at one time, it feels like no, no, it's not know, like we that. can have a conversation now and we're not sort of seeing each other. No, as, there's documents yeah. in this very building mm. about the Popish yeah. plot and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it's my view that when the Greeks get the Elgin marbles back, we should get our churches back. <laughs> Is that right? I think that's absolutely reasonable <laughs> argument. The government just said we're not Catholic anymore, and we're taking your and we're taking all your monastic <laughs> lands and splitting them amongst our posh and powerful friends. I think you know when we talk at reparation, let's not forget the Catholics. Well, you heard it here first. New campaign. Mm. Bring bring back the churches to <laughs> to their rightful owners. You know we're ending up with all these seventies. Concrete <laughs> T-shirts with like misjudged art, <laughs> and you get to keep Westminster Abbey. <laughs> Is that fair? I'm from non-denominational. We do, we're we're in school halls, so I'm gonna take myself out. Yeah. Of okay. <laughs> Can you? Do you reckon you'd be able to read? That's the... like being a football fan but not supporting an actual team. <laughs> yeah, it's just cowardice. It's it is, pure yeah. cowardice. It's an excuse it? for not having to go. Yeah, <laughs> your dad, right? Yeah. Um, can you read the cultural moment for a second for me? Because what do you think? Do you, there's um, there's this sense that things might be shifting slightly, that people might be more open, that being a Christian might not be not just a Christian actually, but sort of religious in general, might not be such a inverted commas, odd thing to be and that people are more open with it and people are more open to their curiosity and their craving. Have you sensed that in your sort of your circles and your world or do you, and you, do you think that's a new thing? Do you think it's a myth that that's a new thing? We're always curious. We just are better at pretending we're not. Well, like I say, most of the people I speak to about it are sort of interested mm. in it. Mm. Um, I don't get much hostility at all. Whether that's getting better, I don't think so. I mean, we live in an age where people are more accepting of difference, but I don't know if Christianity is one of the differences mm. <laughs> that they're very accepting of. Mm. I think it it's impossible to disentangle morality and fashion and... Christianity is not very fashionable. That is the truth of it. Mm. So what is seen uh, uh, spoken of as woke politics has, um, I think, been a tremendous force for moral good, generally. Mm. Mm. Um, as with all these things, the small print can you know, be, be marked. Mm. But the general thing is... I find it, I said to my son, we were watching Strictly, and I said, when I grew up in Smethwick in the 70s, I had a mate who was gay, and somebody beat the hell out of him for that. Mm. They saw him leaving a gay club. And now we're watching the biggest programme in the, in the country, our biggest TV programme, and there's two gay men mm. might win it, mm. and the country loves them. I said, you you are growing up in wondrous times. Mm. But I don't think, I don't know how much credit the church or Christianity can take for that moral advance. Mm. Mm. What I'd like is for that to be, when I say us, I mean believers. Mm. I'd like it to be us that's driving that forward. 
and um, everyone else thinking, oh, I'm not sure about this. It's all a bit quick and blah, blah, blah. But it's the other way around. For, as far as the Catholic Church is concerned, I think any reticence is always, again, tied up with that morality as fashion. I think what the Catholic Church seeks to do is find a morality which is not tied to fashion. And that is so difficult well, to find. I was going to say that because in a sense, I almost sense a contradiction then in what you said earlier about let's keep Christianity weird. You know, that's what's so powerful about it. But at the same time, Christians should get on board with, you know, the sort of modern sort of morale sort of zeitgeist. So I don't think, but, but I don't, I don't think that kind all. of where, where it is the, the Catholic Church in a way, that's one of its oddities it, that it says marriage is only for men and women and it's kind of... No, can't, I don't can't be extended think. To I I don't think that's that. part of its magic. Okay, though. I think that is that's its rules that's been gathered by um, a lot of old guys meeting somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think um, I think that the magic of it, the fact that you can say this is the Lamb of God, that should inspire that should trigger that should fuel the fact that we don't want disabled people to not get up the pavement we don't want someone not to get a job because they're black or female i think if somebody honestly feels that they are in the wrong body gender wise what what is that you know why are we fighting that i don't know i think we're fighting it because we think in 50 years' time, people might think exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. And then how do we get out of that mess? Mm -hmm. So I think the Catholic Church certainly feels that it has to hold on to what it's got and mm -hmm. wait for this stuff like leaves in autumn to just fall away and leave it with those core truths. But as I said before, the, that the idea of tradition in the church is that belief grows and develops and evolves and people, I don't know about you, I didn't have an opinion a, about trans people five years ago. Mm. And the one I've got mm. now is, I wouldn't feel I'd be able to put it into mm. an argument. I haven't mm. done the reading. Mm. Mm. Um, I think what you try to do is take what, what you, I would say is a Christian stencil, which for me is largely created by compassion rather than dogma. And if you hear of a new thing, you place that stencil over it and you think, what is the compassion that was the understanding way? What is the way, and this sounds very corny, that, that's got love mm. shot mm. through it? And um, I think that's how you try and pick your way through all those moral complications. Mm. And I suppose that would be, that is absolutely how you keep the absolute enchanting magic otherworldliness of the church and then let's see that trickle down into the everyday as you think okay how do we take this you know like this love and make that the lens through everything and that confounds the left and right that confounds labor and conservative that it bursts all the boundaries it doesn't sit comfortably anywhere because it is this thing but it it um love sort of bursts all of those boundaries but it's hard to talk about love like this because love obviously has been filtered through a million pop songs and yeah. people think it's a wet 
it's actually a scary weapon mm. thing, a bit like humility. It's a mm. sort of a superpower, mm. but it's it's sort of dark and scary as mm. well as all mm. the other stuff. I, I mean, I went I yeah. went to mass in um, Japan. I went to seven o'clock mass on a Sunday morning, seven a.m. And there was a schoolgirl in front of me in classic Japanese outfit. Those what they call elephant socks, those baggy socks and little skirt. And I noticed that she had very hairy legs. And I thought, God, that's really unusual. And then I realized it was a bloke probably in his late 50s dressed as a schoolgirl. And I thought, oh, wow, I wonder what they make of this guy, at this, mm. you know, this Catholic community. And then when they did the bidding prayers, uh, which I don't know if, if it was when you get up and you mm. pray for different causes, mm. he went up mm. in full schoolgirl mm. uniform and a bit of makeup. And he read, and he read it in, obviously he said it in Japanese, mm. but they, you got a bit of paper, there was a mass sheet which translated the mass into English and it translated the bidding prayers. And his bidding prayer was, Pray for all the outsiders, for all the misunderstood, for all the people, for all the people who are seen as freaks, for all the people who are made to be lonely, who feel they need to lock themselves away, that they might walk out and they might be embraced and they might feel the love of God and of other people. Mm. And it was like, and I thought, oh my God, this bloke, he's absolutely, he's got the super prayer because it's him, he's there in front of us. Mm. It's not, and we pray for Ukraine and we've mm. never really mm. thought mm. about Ukraine mm. for six months since. It. It's mm. a bloke who's living, yeah. mm. living that prayer. And the fact that he was embraced by this Catholic community to the point where he got up and read, I just think it's in us to yeah. be at the cutting edge of compassion. I, mm. I, I'd agree but I suppose my 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 view is that when you come back to Jesus, it is it is as though Jesus refuses to be categorized in either this, a kind of progressive left or a hard right kind of perspective, because Jesus hung out with all of the equivalents of his mm. time, you know, mm. the tax collectors and prostitutes and the, the outcasts, the marginalized, everything else. And he was very often locked in conflict with the religious Puritans, you know, of his day. But at the same time, when he did receive people, he didn't always simply put a rubber stamp on what was going on in their lives it was there was some kind of transformation mm. going on so it's somehow it's absolute acceptance and love but without necessarily saying anything goes at the same time no I, no yeah. but i think you have to decide whether you're the kind of christian who stands in that church mm. and says that bloke needs to change right or mm we, the congregation, need to change in the light of seeing and witnessing this blow. Mm. I suspect everybody needs to change at some level. It's like, I don't think there's anybody that is the final product, I guess is my, my perspective. But mm. anyway, mm. really interesting to, to hear your perspective on that. What, I mean, Bell's question, I suppose, was kind of getting to the point of what this podcast is all about, Frank, which is, We've called it Reenchanted. I know. Right. Finally, we're here. I've been wondering, we've, what is we've this been, podcast about? We're still asking ourselves, even in season two, <laughs> what, what is this all about? Yeah. Reenchanting comedy is sort of the title we gave for this conversation. But right. but really, it's it, it it's about kind of how can we see all areas, spheres of culture and society still reenchanted with the Christian vision of reality? Um, 
to some extent, you sounded a bit pessimistic about that. No, Christianity is still very much seen as, you know, retrograde and, and everything else. But what do you feel like there's any kind of openness to sort of at least take less of a kind of atheistic, materialistic I view think there's nature. an openness to that. I just don't think that Christianity is the first door people mm. open. I okay. think that, I think spirituality, to me, suggests the Eastern religions. Mm. Um, you know, I've got friends who are Buddhists and things like that, and it became, that became a cool thing to do, and that became... Uh, a, a fashionable and accepted i'm not trying to diminish it at all but it it just turns out that that seems cooler mm. than um than going to church catholic or um, anglican church or mm. whatever you go to on a sunday morning um so i just think that even the I mean, to me the word if someone says yes i'm a christian i always think oh god keep an eye on me <laughs> It's, it's not necessarily a good thing. No, it's not necessarily a good thing. And often um, I think that they've had some troubled road mm. and in the end they were washed up on the shores of Christianity <laughs> rather than chose it. But, so if I've got those prejudices, I mean, who knows what other people mm. have. I, um, I don't know what will change that, but I don't mm. think... Um, holding back on um moral development is 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 the way to do it i think the way i think that certainly the catholic church is right that it you you can't always rush people into mm. that change and i think there's a, a feeling now that you can do it by um law mm. you make people think this when they used to think that but what you do is you make people say this mm. and they still think mm. that yeah. um i think the winning over of people is um is something that the church would be brilliant at but it's like the labor party if you're not in power you don't change anything if people aren't sitting in the churches listening mm. how do you get I mean, I don't know who listens to the podcast. I was told it was people who aren't necessarily believers. Yeah, it's, it's a varied audience. Um, so, I mean, I hope that's true. Mm. I hope there are people in the um, in the lobby <laughs> waiting to get into, you know, whatever religion yeah. they find. But I, I don't feel that much. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Well, sorry. It's all right. It's okay. You know better than you, I. No, you're, I, working, no, no. I, I, you're working in the lobby. We're you're taking, housed in the lobby. We're taking soundings from lots of different people, and and it's fascinating to hear where you think the culture is at at the mm. moment, and that yeah, there's this openness to kind of a more vague spirituality. But I'm not but talking not, about hostility. Yeah. I'm no, talking mm. about indifference. No. Yeah, most of the people I know, I wouldn't eat, who I I would say all, all of my friends, more or less, mm. with about four or five exceptions, don't believe in God. I wouldn't call them atheists. No. Because I think mm. in order to be an atheist, you've got to give it a bit of thought and you've got to make that decision. <laughs> With most people, I think they think about whether or not they believe in God as to whether or not they'd like to go to Equatorial <laughs> Guinea. Would they come to church if you invited them? No. No. No, I don't think they'd come I to church. I guess it's the question, how do we get to the point where that wouldn't be such an absurd notion to walk into a church, maybe? Um, yeah, I think maybe, you know, we were talking about social media off camera. 
maybe that's the way. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Mm. I oh. think, I don't know, maybe um, writing comedy prayer books is the thing. I think um, you have to make the strangeness feel that it's part of the whole yeah. thing, mm. yeah, not a different world. Well, that's, I think, what we've both enjoyed about reading the book, mm. Frank, and, and the fact that you... You're, you are trying to just say, yeah, Christianity is weird, but we're all a bit weird. And, you know, this is just part of my life. It's it's a brilliant weird. Though. Most of my friends are weird people. Friends who aren't weird. I don't know what you're supposed to do with them. <laughs> what are they going to contribute to anything? I love um, I love strangeness in all its. Yeah. Um, I also think that it does like I. I was saying earlier, I read poetry every day. I think there is something in, at least, I don't know enough about the other religions to speak about this, but I think in Christianity, it is like living the poem. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the Old Testament was a collection of poetry. I'm not saying it's not factual stuff mm. in it, but clearly it's written in a poetic mm. style. And with great truths mm. and insights into human nature. And I think that whole phrase of the word made flesh is like now the poetry actually gets real. There's going to be a poem that lives and all that's going to make sense. He's constantly referring back like mm -hmm. a literary critic. Mm -hmm. Jesus will say, well, you know, I'll quote, and then he'll quote some of, from the Old Testament, and he's can't we won't lose one letter of the law and all mm. that. He's very keen mm. on mm. all that, and I think then the use of parables and all that—it's all—it's so literary, mm. mm -hmm. it's so poetic, the whole thing. But we're constantly, constantly told the word is made flesh. This is super poetry. This is poetry yeah. that's actually physical. It actually exists. But I think it appeals to that same thing in human beings that the sort of poetry I've got in my pocket yeah. does. It's, it's, it's deep, deep insights and it's echoes of things that you feel that mm -hmm. underneath it there's much, much more. And the more you absorb, the further you get. But you never get. There's something you get from reading a poem that you can't... You know, I, I do a podcast and I talk about poetry all the time, but I accept that the ultimate thrill and fulfillment of a poem is in the white bits on yeah. the page around mm. the poem. You can't really express mm. it, and that's mm. true mm. Yeah. of religion. But I do think the poetry, religion, certainly Christianity comparison yeah. work. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, it reminds me of what C.S. Lewis said about Jesus being myth become fact. It's sort of all the imaginative side of him that that you know sparked his you know who he was and just didn't fit with a completely materialistic you know atheistic you know we're all really just atoms bouncing around kind of view of reality he kind of found that it was in jesus that that overlap happened that all of the imagination and mythology that he was so invested in suddenly somehow became true in a person and and, and this is what i mean about the magic not losing the magic because yeah. people are drawn to that mythology they're yeah. drawn to that sort of poetic author yeah. yeah and if you can convince them that that 
actually there is a place where mm. that properly exists. Yeah. Then, and that um, they exist within that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're part of the mm. poem and mm -hmm. it's there. They just, just need to step into the poem. There's like a blank line waiting for them. Yeah. We yeah. love it. We love okay, it. here is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Go and sort that out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do our Glad best, Frank. Is. Thank you that you're doing your bit as well. Mm. Um, it's, oh, it's been a joy yeah. every moment of it. Yeah, it's absolutely. been so wonderful to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me. Pleasure. You've been listening to the Reenchanting podcast. Do subscribe to listen back to all our past episodes and help others to discover the show by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also find more videos, articles and resources at seenandunseen.com. See you next time.